The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, where every week we try to get you the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. And once a month, we do that by not pretending that Vena has ESP and knows what you need to hear, but rather by asking you what you need to hear on question and answer week. Uh, this is Q and a week. It's, 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 it's a little off schedule because we all got off schedule by New Year's day falling on a Sunday this year. Like everybody thought the first week of January just didn't exist. It's so much easier when New Year's day falls on a Wednesday and nobody, nobody expects you to work for the rest of the week. But, uh, Long story short, I uh, sort of uh, forgot to do question and answer week last week <laughs> after, you know, however many years of doing it at the same time every month. But making it for today, uh, question and answer week is your week to call in or email in and a- ask any real estate related question you have. And if you think it's a really stupid question, then doubly call because... Um, everybody's stupid questions are the questions that everybody else has and is afraid to ask because it seems like everybody else knows the answer, but I don't. Uh, so how do you do that? Well, phone number is 877-772-9658. I'm going to say that again slower because there's a lot of sevens in that. 877-772-9658 is the phone number if you'd like to just call in during the show and talk or... Uh, if you're a place, in a place where you can't do that, you can send your question to askvina at gmail.com. I've got a really quick and what I hope is exciting announcement for new investors. Uh, Cincinnati RIA and the Community of Real Estate Entrepreneurs are sponsoring a six-week free class for new investors. Now, I say six weeks and everybody's panicking. I'm going to have to be in class for six weeks? That's like a college semester. No, it's one night a week. It's Monday night, uh, six Monday nights, uh, starting January 23rd. And because we are like super concerned about people who are getting into the market right now, and who unfortunately only have access to information that a year ago was like really good information. But now that the market is quickly changing, it's no longer good information. Uh, the class is no charge. And it's open to any new investor who's getting started uh, really anywhere in the country. 
So if you're a Cincinnati RIA member, go register for that at CincinnatiRIA.com. If not, go to CoreeRocks.com. That's C-O-R-E-E-R-O-C-K-S dot com. Uh, just go to the calendar, pick out that first session on January 23rd, register for it, and you will get the link to all six sessions. You don't need to go through and register for each session individually. If you register for one, we assume you want to be at all of them. So again, that's CincinnatiRia.com or CoreeRocks, C-O-R-E-E-R-O-C-K-S dot com for that free six-week new investors class. Uh, we're going to go to the phones and talk to Steve, who is not there. Steve from Ohio, who is actually not there. So um, I am going to go to the email questions that we have received. And Steve, please feel free to uh, to call back. Uh, so going to go to a question from Denise, who is from... Uh, the Carolinas someplace, according to her email. Uh, she says, a very short, sweet, simple question. Well, it's a very short and sweet question. It's a simple question. Not sure the answer is that simple. She says, what do you say to potential sellers who want too much for their property? <laughs> well, since that's all sellers, um, I would, I would need to ask some more questions, Denise, before I decided what I was going to say. Uh, before I even ask how much they want for their property, I ask them why they're selling. And if they, if they say something like, well, you know, I, I just, I was curious about what people would pay. I say, well, so you're not, you're not looking to move, uh, like there's no, no, no issues. And they say no. And I say, well, you know what? I am not your best answer because I'm a real estate investor and I evaluate houses based on their potential income. And normally for people who don't need to sell right away, like someone like a home buyer is, is going to pay more money. So I really appreciate you calling me, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just not your, whatever offer I make you is not going to make you happy. If they say something that uh, more makes me believe that they do need an investor involved, you know, the house needs a ton of work. It wouldn't, it wouldn't, appraise for a homeowner the house uh, they need to sell it in the next two weeks because it's going to go to tax sale otherwise uh, uh, they want to sell it without listing it for some reason of their own uh, then I will I will ask them what they want for the house and if the number is like way high for the condition location etc I say um, well that's that's more of a like you've got lots of time to sell it and you can fix it up price because uh, you know from what you've told me about the condition and what you've told me about the uh, location and the situation uh, the, the the offer I would be able to make you would be more like and after I've done some evaluation I will actually tell them what that offer is so some sellers that want too much of their property I don't have any conversation with them about the price at all because it's just clear to me that they're not they're not motivated they don't need me and the ones who are motivated and I think might need me or someone like me, if they're asking way too much, I say that, you know, I, I understand your desire to get that much money, but uh, any offer from an investor is going to come in more like this, and that would probably be close to my offer. So hope that helps, Denise. Let's go to line one, Steve in Ohio. Steve, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Hi, Vita. Uh, can you hear me now? Yeah. I how it didn't work before. I called back, and I'm glad... 
And the first thing I want to say is I just want to thank you for having these radio talks because your advice really is truly very thoughtful and you have an amazing amount of experience. So thank you for doing this. Well, thank you. Well, so uh, I'll let you ask the question. <laughs> but my question is? Yes. Yeah, so I'm, I'm in the middle of a deal that we are able to accomplish. Um, it's, it's about a... Uh, do you want me to give you prices or just round numbers? Well, I, it, it depends on what the nature of your question is going to be. If I need, oh, the... okay, so, so I'll just say the number. So it's about a four hundred thousand dollars sale, and we have about three quarters of the equity for that to do this sale, and so we are trying to get about a hundred thousand dollars more. And in the past couple of days, the seller told me that she really, you know, the equity that we have is more than she would get out of the sale itself if we were to just do a normal straight closing. And she shared with me that she had like a 3% loan and about $165,000. And she found out roundabout that it's possible we could assume this VA loan. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're, we're entrepreneurs, so we don't really have like real jobs, so to speak, but mm -hmm. we work harder than most people. <laughs> if you get what I'm saying, we... The tax man thinks we're poor, but the reality is, is you know, we are able to do things. But we we, are, we have recently run into a situation where we had a line of credit on another property that would be more than ample to do it, but we're selling that property so that we can buy the next thing. Uh -huh. And we were trying in the past to get a line of equity on another property, but since we are now like not having W-2s, the bank doesn't put us into that framework. It doesn't work for them anymore, even though we have actually credit. So I said, well, that is wonderful. That would be, we would gladly take a 25-year loan at 3% for 150 plus thousand dollars. That mm -hmm. would be wonderful mm -hmm. to assume it. But we're afraid that we're going to kind of end up in the same situation with our regular bank who we have a great relationship with, that we may not qualify. So my question with all that being said is, if this person is able to just keep paying on the loan and we're able to give her all of her equity that she would get out of the deal, mm -hmm. and what would we, how would you structure that? Like we're paying for her mortgage, she keeps the, she keeps that loan, assuming we somehow couldn't get the VA assumption. Mm -hmm. What would you call that and how would you go about doing that? So you're paying 400 for the house? Yes. And 150 is the, her loan balance-ish. Uh, no, um, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, about 165. Okay, so so mm -hmm. so to to pay the rest, you would need to come to the table with uh, 235. Call it. And we we absolutely do have the ability to do that. We already have that liquid money available now to do that. Okay, so you can't actually assume that VA loan. Okay. And I'm 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 magic. I I I don't even have to look at the mortgage to say that that's true. Uh, VA assumables are only assumable by people who both qualify and are going to live in the house. Yes. And you are not going to live in the house, I assume. Uh, well, it actually could be our primary residence in, in, in all truthfulness. Okay. Well, uh, if 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 that is the case, you probably can do a formal assumption. Because okay. all, all you have to do is qualify for a hundred and sixty-five thousand dollar loan, and I'm sure okay. you can do that, even without a job. Yeah. I'm sure you okay, can. Okay, so the 
Yes, I, we we can. I, well, I would think so because we've had no problem. I think the loan payment is like a eleven hundred a month, approximately. That's no problem. Okay, so if you are in fact going to move into the house, you can go ahead mm-hmm. and you can go ahead and apply for the VA assumption, and I bet you get it. And you can oh, just cool. you, you can just say I'm gonna uh, pay the balance in cash. Right, and VA doesn't VA doesn't yeah. actually care. They don't. They're not even going to ask for your right. for your proof of funds or anything. Um, okay. The deeper question is, what is she going to do with that under other two hundred thirty five thousand dollars? Well, she the the I will say it in these terms for her privacy because that's not my business. But I do know that the amount of her equity, which amounts to, I'm going to, what is it? If it's 165, it's four. So she's, um, let's just say it's 150, it's $400,000 deal. It's about 340000 I was 240000 sorry, is her equity, right? Okay, yes. Approximately. Uh-huh. With that amount of money, her plans in her life will allow her to move forward and do what she's wanting to do. And she would not need, to, at this point, not need to, change anything in that that thing okay in her life that amount of money will solve her problems for what she needs to do what she wants to do okay i i i respect your respect for her privacy but none of us know who she is so can you just can you you tell me is it going to go in the bank or is it going to go to purchase something oh uh, i'm sorry it's going to purchase a new housing situation for her yeah and she'll, she'll just be able to pay cash for the house well the situation for her is a situation where there's a there's a family member that has land and she will be basically purchasing a, a mobile home or a tiny home and putting it there. So that is well within that amount of money would very easily cover what she needs to do to move forward and she still would have money left over for her and she's very she's very employable. She is so so the the reason i'm asking that question is that it might require less of your cash and also be better for her okay if instead of you assuming the first and giving her cash for everything else if you assumed the first and she actually kept some of her equity in the property and you paid her 5% interest on that equity and paid it back to her in payments. That's actually a very interesting thought that might be helpful to her. Well, if yeah, because she like if she's, said, if she's oldish, she needs not to, really. She's, she's about 10 years at least from retirement. Okay. Okay. So, and, and well employed by the way, well employed. I would just ask her the question, is there some part of this that you're going to put in the bank and get somewhere between 2% in a savings account and maybe if you tie it up for the next 10 years, 5% in a CD? And is it important to you what rate of return you get on your money? Because I can offer you a rate of return higher than what the bank can offer you. I see. And certainly I'm willing to put whatever down you need to go do the thing with the new house. But it might be, and you should you should talk to your financial advisor about this, but it might actually be yeah. to your benefit to 
keep the money in the house and get paid it, get it paid out over 10 years or something at 5% interest and see if she's interested in doing that. Now, yeah, that's a great idea. If, if this were going to be strictly an investment property for you, you were not going to move into it and, and therefore not going to lie to VA about whether or not you're going to move into it because I've actually seen them come clap back at that FHA and VA. Um, mm-hmm. you, you could take it subject to the VA loan. Okay. And get a second. So, so this is, there's no loan approval from VA. You just do it. Or you could wrap the VA loan with a 5% loan to her, which means she's not only making 5% on her equity, she's also making 2% on the VA loan. And I bet you're happy at a 5% interest rate. Yeah, very, very happy. Yes. So I'm happier with 3%, but <laughs> 5% is very good. Well, yeah, if you can assume that loan, that kind of, I, I I don't know what the exact rules are right now, but after a certain brief period of time, she's actually released from that loan. Like she's got no liability on it at all. And that's, that's the ideal yeah. situation for her. And 3% is in fact better than 5%. Uh, I went to public school and I know that. So, but, <laughs> yeah. but th- this is a lot of cash to sink into this deal. Mm-hmm. And especially to keep sunk in because the the benefit of that 3% loan goes away the second you have to refinance the property to take out your cash. Yeah. Because getting a second on the property. Now, of course, if you were living there, you could absolutely get a uh, line of credit. Yeah. The, the difficulty with line of credits is, is on non-owner occupied houses. I do have a question. So one possibility is she has a VA loan. Uh, she unfortunately lost her spouse, who was the person who was able to qualify for the VA loan, but she believes that she may be able to qualify for a VA loan in her next situation. She might be. And if she were to do that, this is my understanding through her that, you know, and I my thought would be that the VA is only going to do one loan for at a time for um, a family or a person. Yeah. So so then assumption becomes your only option. But yeah, but but so. VA is not her only option. You know, okay. she she can still she can she could assuming she otherwise qualifies, she could get an FHA loan, which is also going to be low down payment and low interest. Uh VA is a little cheaper, but it's not like hundreds of dollars a month cheaper. Mhm. I see. But she could, she could, so her VA allowance and her FHA allowance don't really overlap. She could, she could go get an FHA loan because she doesn't have another FHA loan. Oh, so she could have a VA loan and an FHA loan, you're saying? Yeah, particularly if you assume the VA loan. Okay. Now, if you were to buy it subject to, she would need to be able to qualify for the FHA loan based on her still being financially responsible, although not morally responsible for the old VA loan. But you said she's got a high income and this is a small loan. Yeah. So they would, they would deduct the $1,100 a month that you were paying from her income. But if she has enough income, she's apparently not going to buy to a much, to a more expensive house. 
Well, you actually hit it on the head. She's planning on moving to a much, much more expensive area in the country. So, oh, she's um, she's going to go to Florida and buy one of those two hundred thousand dollar mobile homes. <laughs> well, it's well, there's temporary plans and then there's you know longer term plans. So mm-hmm. the 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 area that she's in is actually not as warm and sunny as, as Florida, but it's. Um, Cold and expensive. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I never understand but, that but you, combination. But you're right on what you're saying. It's an expensive moving forward, right? So, okay. And then the thought was, and I know this is a radio show, you want me to take up two hours, but is that she would eventually get to her forever home in, mm-hmm. in this very expensive area. So, mm-hmm. just, uh, but I, well, the information you gave me. You, you, Go ahead. You definitely don't want to structure anything that's going to mess up her future plans. Absolutely. But but if you can if you can truly and, and, you know, have her check with her favorite mortgage broker. I know she's not actually looking for one right now, but just have her check. And I believe that if you formally assume the VA loan within a little while, she she is no longer on that loan, quote unquote. So she it it won't affect her debt to income ratio Uh, if she has a time frame for this plan. Any second that you got would need to be would need to balloon or otherwise pay off within that yeah. time frame, and or you would need to be willing to say, "Look, if you find a house in five years, even though this is a ten year loan, I'll find a way to pay it off." Right, and and we would have the ability to do that. Yeah, yeah. There's um, there's a yeah. thing there's a thing that might make her feel good that you can do with mortgages, which is instead of them having a balloon, they have a call option. So you can mm-hmm. say, you can say, I need at least five years with this. Okay. <laughs> but after five years, if you give me 90 days notice, you can call it and I'll pay you back within 90 days. That, that's a great idea. As well. um, so in your mind, order of importance or best, the worst in our case, obviously if we, Assume the loan and use that as our primary residence, which is a great possibility. Um, that would be the best, obviously. And then what would be your next step? Are you trying to wrap that you would think that would be the next best thing? Um, that would be the next best thing for her. The next best thing for you would be a 3% first and a 5% second. I see. And then the next best thing okay. would be just wrap the three with the five. And call it a win. What, you're what like, is the different terminology between what you just said about the three and the five first, and the other terminology than the rack? So a a three percent loan is the first, and a five percent loan is the second. That's the first scenario. So you you pay two okay. mortgage you pay two mortgage payments, ones at three and ones at five. In the wrap mm-hmm. in the wrap scenario, the five percent loan actually wraps around the three percent loan and this is this is the limitation of public radio because i am literally drawing you a picture on my scrap paper here that you can't see (laughs) okay okay um i might see it a meeting some night so 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 basically basically her five percent loan includes the the underlying loan so let's say she said well you know a hundred thousand of it i'm not going to need for a while so what mm-hmm. she has is a $265,000 loan at five that includes the $165,000 loan at three. So you are paying her 5% on 265, but then she makes the payment to the bank. 
And then she would also make the 2% on the remainder of her loan. Yeah, she makes 5% on 100000 and she makes 2% on 165000 that's not even her money. That sounds like an awesome deal. And, and here's the thing. We really, truly, we know this person. We want it to work out well for her, which is an odd thing. Usually I have a very sharp pencil in my life, but this situation is like... We want to help this person do as well as she can, and of course, we want a good deal for us. So, mm-hmm. I really like that option that you brought up, Vina. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. somewhere on YouTube, on on my YouTube channel, which is regoddessdotcom, it's 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 literally spelled out. It's regoddess.com, but dot is spelled out. There's actually about an hour long video about how rap mortgages work that you might want to check out. And just so I'm sure what we were just discussing would be described as a rap mortgage. Correct. Or better named, and I've got to start using this term, all-inclusive rap mortgage. All-inclusive rap. Yep. Well, that's wonderful. Boy, you you really solved a big question that's helpful for us and her. So um, I think that might be the way we go unless I find something different. I think that it also doesn't chain us to having to live there if we didn't want to, although it's a nice place. <laughs> I kind of want to live there. But if we didn't want to live there, then we could, that would be, you know, copacetic, so to speak. Mm-hmm. To, to, yeah, to assume, I, that, yeah. to assume that first mortgage, yep. And, of course, I will speak to legal counsel. Yes, I please. Would do that. Yes, absolutely would. So. Great. Well, thank you very much, Vina. All right. Very good. Thank you for your call, Steve. Have a great day. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week. And yeah, I just kind of, you know, whatever. If you have a interesting long question, uh, you know, we have an hour. Uh, so when we come back, we're going to take some uh, uh, of the email questions that came in at askvina at gmail.com. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. It's question and answer week, and that little spot just reminded me of something about Cincinnati, R-E-I-A dot com. Uh, Cincinnati RIA is holding an all-day workshop on Saturday about how to evaluate leads from your desktop quickly. So it is a day of basically walking through the process from seller calls... What do you do to now you're off the phone with the seller? How do you find the value of the property from your desktop? How do you find out about liens? How do you find out if taxes are paid up to date? How do you find out who actually owns it? All of that sort of stuff. Uh, it's meant to be a hands-on workshop. You're supposed to uh, listen in, but also follow along on maybe a deal you're working on and try and find that same data for your deal. Uh, I'm going to be teaching that, and it is, again, Saturday online. So if you need some help with processing leads quickly, because you, you do know that if an actual motivated seller calls, you can't take four days to get back to them <laughs> to tell them whether or not you want to come over and make an offer right. Oh, and also, just because a seller calls doesn't mean you should be getting in your car and running across town and spending hours before you actually know what it is you're looking at. Uh, maybe 
should take this workshop. You can find out more about it and get registered at CincinnatiRIA.com. Again, CincinnatiREIA.com. All right, going to the inbox for some questions that came in from listeners earlier today. Uh, Kathleen says, I'm a realtor in Michigan who wants to retire this year and move somewhere warmer to start to invest and house hack. I really need monthly cash flow more than appreciation. I'm looking at Nashville and Memphis, Tennessee. I've heard Memphis cash flows better than Nashville, but also that crime might be worse in Memphis. Any ideas? So Kathleen, I have no particular opinion on Memphis versus Nashville in terms of the crime rate, et cetera. Um, I have, because I just, you know, I don't know those markets all that well. But I can tell you the general advice I give to anyone who is considering go, moving into a new market, either literally like you are physically or in terms of like, I want to invest in some other market. And that is you need to take some time to get to know the markets. I'm I'm sure that w- whatever crime there is in Memphis, there's also crime in Nashville. <laughs> I'm sure there is uh uh the the reason for the lower cash flow in the Nashville market, of course, is that the properties are more expensive. But uh, I do know that. I do know that the median house price in Nashville is quite a bit higher than the median house price in Memphis. But at the same time, cash flow is based on the property you bought and the financing you got on it, not on the city. So, you know, if, you, if you're doing a deal on a $400,000 house in Nashville that you're buying subject to the existing loan and that's at 3%, you might actually get more cash flow than buying a the same house in Memphis, which is maybe only 250, but you have to get a 7% loan on it. Right? If 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 cash flow is truly your thing, it's not about price, it's about the financing that you got. So you need to probably take some time, go to those markets uh both both cities have real estate associations. Um, in neither one of them is called RIA, so they might be they might be hard for you to find. The one in Nashville is called R E I N, and the one in Memphis is called MIG M I G Memphis Investors Group. Um, go visit the groups, make some connections there, talk to people, ask them you know pros and cons of investing in their area. Um, particularly ask them about any annoying. Uh, city or county laws that make it harder to own rentals because that that can have a much bigger effect on your life than you think it's going to before you get there. Get a real estate agent to show you some properties and talk about, you know, what neighborhood might I want to live in? What neighborhood might I want to buy a rental property in? I'm looking for a two family. Um, Talk to people because this is a, this is a fairly big decision that, justifies some weekends of your life uh you don't want to you don't want to be making this decision long distance get in there learn some stuff about the market buy like a local don't don't buy stuff that somebody offered you that was a turnkey rental because no local ever buys a turnkey rental you know get down there and see what's available see what you like pick a place and then go for it and of course join the real estate association in whichever city you end up landing in. So I hope that's helpful. Um, Cheaper areas do tend to come with higher cash flow, but they also come with some other things that, I mean, there's usually a reason 
that one market is expensive, i.e. lots of people want to move there, and another one is cheaper. Either it has flat growth or uh, people are moving out. So just, you know, do do some research, like personal on-site research, and I'm sure you will make the right decision, whichever one it is. Uh, let's see, another question here from... Darren, he said, and I know Darren, he's from Michigan. He, uh, Hey, what's with all our Michigan listeners today? Hey, Michigan. Uh, wanted to know, now that the market is changing, what formula are you using to get your ARV or make offers and what lead generation is working best for you? So the formula to get after repaired value, ARV, is never going to change because there's no formula. It's what has sold and how does it compare to my property in terms of size, location, bedrooms, baths, all that sort of thing. Uh, the, the one adjustment I have made to w- which which of those numbers that I get from that am I going to use for ARV is uh, a year ago. If I had a comp at 200, 215, and 220, and they seemed really similar, I'm going to go with 220. Because house prices are going up double digits every year, right? Now, if I see 200, 215, and 220, I'm probably going to say 210. Because house prices have flattened out and I expect them to start actively going down any minute now. So 210 is a, is a better guess of what the house might sell for in six months than 220 is. Also, I have started looking for, I've started looking really hard at how old the comps are. If they're a year old, I'm going to give them less weight than if they're three months old. I really like my, my sort of uh, bellwether at the moment is I like to see sales that happened July or after because interest rates started going up in March, which means that a lot of sales fell out in March and April. Some of the ones that started out in May, didn't close till July, right? So I'm I'm looking at when did interest rates start kind of skyrocketing and how how close are we to the date of the sale because they have gone up, 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 up ever since then. So I'm going to pay a lot more attention to a comp that's three months old than I am to one that's a year old at this point. I assume your question about the formula for making offers refers specifically to wholesale offers, because if I'm making creative finance offers, I don't really care what the value of the house is. I care what financing I'm getting. Uh, so, yeah, we made the decision back in October, November to pull back from the uh, wholesale formula of ARV times 0.7 minus repair costs minus profit and go back to ARV times 0.7. So we not we knocked a half of we knocked. 5% off that formula. And the reason is not random. The reason is because it was around October, November when we started hearing from buyers. I I really like that deal, but I'm worried about what the market's going to look like in four months when I'm finished and putting, putting it on the market. So I don't want to pay 75% of value because I'm worried that the price will drop 5% and I'll have no, I'll have very little profit left over by the time I've sold it. So we respond to our buyers, right? And our buyers are saying they're nervous and getting a 5% cheaper price makes them less nervous. 
So thanks for your question, Darren. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will answer some more questions. If you have one you'd like to call in, the number is 877-772-9658. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Fina Jones-Cox. It's Q&A day, and my inbox is loading up with questions and comments. Um, this one from Diane. The market seems to not be very kind to wholesaling. What are your thoughts? Well, Diane, my thoughts are it's not that the market's not being kind to wholesaling. It's that the market's not being kind to wholesalers who never learned how to actually evaluate properties or have real wholesale deals for sale. They had a good run in the days when the market was just going up, 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 up. And a lot of people who did not have a bunch of uh, education or sophistication about buying properties were standing there with money hanging out of their pockets. But now that those buyers are gone They've got nobody to sell to because the ones who are left are experienced people who aren't going to pay overpay for wholesale deals. Wholesalers who actually bother to learn their craft and hone it and have made changes to their uh, strategy the way I just recommended Darren that he do are not worried and are still wholesaling deals. I'm going to refer you back to a show that we did uh, back in December called The Future of Wholesaling. Uh because we talked about this for like a whole hour and you can find that at realliferealestate.com. You can download it and listen to it at your leisure. A question from, oh, Sheila. <laughs> her screen name is, is different than her actual name. And I, yeah, I got a little confused. Uh, Sheila says, I'm currently working on my wholesale skills and have two questions. I've not been successful at convincing sellers to take my terms offers, even if it appears to be a better deal. When is a better time during the conversation with a seller where a terms offer should be presented and would most likely be accepted? Um, Sheila, there's, you, you just said two things that I, I hope we're in opposition to each other. You said you're working on wholesaling, but your question was about terms deals. I hope you are not trying to wholesale terms deals unless, of course, you're staying in the middle of them and you're collecting the payment from your buyer and paying it to your seller because that is the only ethical way to wholesale subject to and other terms deals. It's also possible that you are looking for terms deals for yourself. I, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure from the nature of the question, but the answer, the direct answer to the question, you said, I'm offering sellers terms offers. And even if it's a better deal, they don't want it. And is there some time during the conversation that the seller should maybe hear about this terms deal? It's bigger than that. Just as sellers need to be motivated in order to take a low price cash offer, they have to be motivated to take a terms deal. This is something new to them. It's, you know, it's not, they, they, their, their, their agent didn't tell them that there was such a thing as a terms deal. So uh, just on its face, it's kind of scary and uncertain. So the time that you should talk to a seller about a terms deal is when you have determined that they are in fact motivated and also that 
they don't have a need for the cash. Did you notice that I asked Steve what the seller was going to do with all this cash she was getting? The reason was if he'd said, well, her daughter needs a liver transplant and doesn't have any insurance. There's no way I would have continued down that path with Steve of let's offer her payments. You can't, as far as I know, you can't get a liver transplant on payments. So that would have ended the conversation with the seller for me if she'd have said, if I said, okay, so what are you going to do with all this cash? And she'd said, oh, need a liver transplant. Not going to, not going to make a terms offer. Um, so you need to know quite a bit about a seller. Now, not, not, it's not more than you couldn't, that you, that, than you could get out of 10 minutes worth of conversation with the seller before you introduce this terms offer. And my first conversation with the seller, I usually ask a really simple question like, uh, would you be open to me taking over your payments if that would mean I could make a higher price? I could give you a higher price. Or if they've already told me they don't have a mortgage because I've already asked that question, would you be open to taking that in payments if that meant I could offer you a higher price? That's the only question they get initially. Then when we've determined that, you know, there there is motivation, the price is somewhere in the ballpark of what I think I can pay and make that property make money, I'm probably going to present both offers at once. It's going to be, here's what I could do for cash, and here's what I could do if you would take this much payment for this many months. Which one do you like better? Okay, so you don't like drop a full-on terms offer into your first conversation with the seller because the reason sellers accept terms offers is A, that offer is better for them in some way. Either it's a higher offer or they get, you know, get more interest on the cash they would have stuck in the bank or something like that. And B, they trust you. They, they believe that you are going to move heaven and earth to do what you said you were going to do, which by the way is why it's unethical to wholesale terms offers because you got the deal based on your rapport with the seller and their trust in you. And then you turned around and sold it to somebody that they don't know and they have no reason to know whether they can trust. And the fact that you don't know if you can trust. So hope that helped. Second uh, question from Sheila in North Carolina is what kind of details are included in a soft offer to a seller that you speak of? So the soft offer is basically this is this is on the phone. For me, it is usually in the first conversation, but I know my market really well. So I kind of already know what what a house in a particular neighborhood is worth. Um, it's, it's literally, okay, so you said that your bottom dollar was 300,000. Based on what other properties in the area of sold for and what you're telling me this house needs and what I think I would want to do to it and so on, my offer is likely to be more than, more like 250 for cash. And the number might be a lot lower than that. I'm just giving an example. It's likely to be closer to 250 for cash and I could maybe get closer I know I could get closer to 300 if you'd let me take over that those payments does that sound like something that is within the realm of possibility for you so that I and and you know I should make an appointment come see it see if I can do that or do better than that and if they say oh no way there's no possibility that I going to take anything less than my full asking price and I know perfectly well that I'm not going to be able to pay their first full asking price I'm not going to waste their time or mine going to look at their property. I am going to follow up, however. 
three minutes left. Okay, so let's uh, see if there's a quick question here. Natalie says, what should you consider before going into a joint venture with someone? How do I write up contract with them? And is there a model to prepare the contract? The answer to number three, Natalie, is absolutely not, because every joint venture is a little bit different. The answer to number two and number one is, depends on the joint venture. If if the joint venture between me and another person is, you're putting up the money and I'm doing everything else. I'm doing all the work. It's going to be a pretty simple joint venture agreement. It's going to say, you're putting up all the money, I'm doing all the work, and um, we're splitting the deal thusly. And if I don't do all the work, here's what happens. And it's it's usually you get to hire somebody to do what I'm not doing, and it comes out of my side entirely, not we don't split those expenses. And there's always a buy-sell agreement that says if either one of us gets happy, here's how one of us can buy the other one out. I think the key thing to any kind of joint venture that I think you might be talking about where both people are supposed to be contributing both money and work. So you're, you're like in each other's lives because my, my cash partners, they're, you know, I'm, I'm not in their life other than to send them checks in any significant way or vice versa. I mean, we talk and everything, but it's not like we're going to argue over what color to paint the door because that's my job to figure out, not their job to figure out is making sure you share values with that person. And that's going to mean like going to dinner with them, maybe going your family, going to dinner with their family. It's going to be like dating. You don't, you don't marry somebody in a financial sense until you have a feel that you kind of like, you kind of handle things the same way. You, you both have the same values in the way of, you know, once I do something, I stick to it. Or maybe your value is if it goes badly, I'm going to bail. You better make sure they feel the same way. So yeah, date, date your joint venture partner. Not literally. That's bad business. Uh, so thanks everybody for your questions on Q&A day today. We'll do another one in just a few weeks. Uh, pick up any questions that I received that I wasn't able to get to. And we'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.